good. So we're at, we're at FlameCon, Miles. Um, what do you what do you think we should be talking about? Well, I've been thinking a lot about subtext. What kind of subtext? There's more than one kind of subtext. Well, there's like the kind that likes to be tied up by the text, and um, <laughs> more more conventionally, there's there's you know the coded if you know what to look for kind of subtext, and then there's the there but nobody acknowledges it subtext. Oh, like uh, Kitty and Rachel. Right, exactly. So if that were a if if they were a man and a woman, then their relationship would be taken as a given, but. But if they're not, there's still that plausible deniability. Plausible? Well, yeah, but at least it's just a short leap from there to canon. Oh, yeah, it's real quick. It only took uh, Richter and Shatterstar, what, 17 years? <laughs> okay, but that's an extreme example. Uh, what about Mystique and Destiny? Uh, they've been around forever, and their relationship is definitely long since canon. How long did it take them to kiss on panel? Okay, I'm, it's been, just a sec, I mean. This um, is the part that Matt Hunter, our wonderful three, producer, would usually then, uh, Hollywood magic away. One, um, just a sec, and carry the three. 37 years. Wait, so Mystique debuted in 1978, and Destiny debuted in what? 81. So that means their first on-page kiss was... Next week. What?! <laughs> I'm Jay Adderton. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 261 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And welcome to this very specific part of FlameCon, where we all are, which is great. This is, yeah. For those of you listening at home, um, we, are, we are recording this live at FlameCon 2019. We also got the slot on the main stage right after the cosplay contest, which is amazing because it means our audience is like a third actual X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't mean cosplayers of X-Men. We mean actual X-Men. This is actually a cross-dimensional, cross-time convention for anybody not here listening later. Canon. I mean, I, I assume so. Can we, can we actually, can, can we take a second and, and be, be obnoxious to everyone listening at home and say, say will, will those of you who are cosplaying stand up because you all look really amazing? And yeah. like, yeah, we're, we're missing, we're missing, I think, the dark child who actually won the cosplay contest. But that's, that's, yeah. Ah, oh, you are nice. all phenomenal. Also, props to the mystique. Like, you, the fact that you are keeping that much blue body paint on in this weather <laughs> is incredibly, incredibly impressive. And I, I, yeah, I, that's, uh, that's phenomenal. Jay, that's not paint. That's just what mystique looks like. Miles. That's what Mystique looks like. Oh. Like, I just assume they're all cosplaying Mystique. <laughs> I, just, I just meant the blue one. Well, anyway, we have not only us up here, but we have a really amazing guest. It's true. We have, um, we have actually returning, um, having, having been on the show live once before, because you were that awesome and we had to have you back. We have the one and only Vida Ayala. Hi. <laughs> really far away. <laughs> there we go. It was also nice enough to let us sit like flanking you. So which is I actually feel very nice protected. Terrible. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's true. We are it's really we are menacing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Threats and menaces. So Vita, you just finished up uh, Age of X-Man Prisoner X and uh, your run on the new Morbius title just got announced. 
And rumor has it you're going to be doing something in the second wave of upcoming X-Men books that I suspect you can't tell us anything about. I cannot say anything about that except that if Jonathan Hickman says it's true, then it's true. So, <laughs> just in general, or just in general, I think that's right. Yeah. So he yeah, we've already established canon. that we're not allowed to talk about that one. Um, so we we talked. We went out to dinner last night. And we talked sort of through about what we wanted to talk about. And as the cold open implies, and as I think a lot of our conversations around queerness and X Men imply, and a lot of the general conversations, um, we started talking about subtext. And we started talking about the difference between the two types of subtext we talked about in the cold open. And then we talked about how sort of that interacted with our own relationships and histories with X-Men and specifically the things that we had stuck around for, that we'd found on those pages that whether or not they were explicit, we hadn't seen elsewhere. And yeah, for uh, people not familiar with the 70s, 80s age of X-Men, this was a very common thing. Chris Claremont, during his 17, I think, year run, yeah. had a lot. Exactly the same amount of time it took between uh, Shatterstar's first appearance and his and Richter's first kiss. Oh, maybe that was a deliberate homage. I, I can only so. assume. <laughs> no. no. But yeah, Claremont was famous for having characters that were clearly queer, but Marvel, of course, would not, you know, that, that was the comics code days that couldn't really be discussed, and so a lot of it was subtextual. We all knew what was going on with Mystique and Destiny. We all suspected Slash just straight up knew what was going on with, like, Kitty Pride and Rachel Gray or Kitty Pride and Ileana, but it was not officially explicitly canon at that point. In- and much of it still isn't. Exactly. And that's even beyond sort of the, the allegorical stuff. It's, it's really interesting. I... I recently did a, a podcast, the Women of Marvel podcast, with Teeny Howard and Leah Williams, who are phenomenal and amazing. Um, and one of them, I can't remember who, because I have con brain, right? Um, was like, I, uh, Mystique was supposed to actually like be Nightcrawler's father, and I was like, excuse yeah. me, yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> well, she's a shape changer, and that was kind of the plan. Was that you can't really contain gender because she can be whoever, and I was like. We, we missed out on something truly magical there. And we got the Draco instead. <laughs> instead, we got a Zazel. I feel like that is the best metaphor for heteronormativity <laughs> and the way it ruins instead, things. Instead, you get a demon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but no, but specifically, like, and I remember I'm thinking about all of this and coming to, to X-Men we, a little bit later, like, I know I have a lot of friends, and I, I, I keep on coming back to Sigrid Ellis's Kitty Queer essay, which if you haven't read it, you can find it on our site. You can find it in a couple anthologies. But specifically about how sort of the, the, the weird symbiotic relationship her queerness and her sort of realization of her queerness as a teenager had with her read of X-Men. And the fact that on one hand, she saw herself reflected a lot more, but on the other hand, because it was so consistently, they are friends, they are roommates. Gal like pal. she assumed that, oh no, these feel, this is, these, th- that's what these feelings are friendship. Friendship feelings, which I mean, kind of, but. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, the way, the way those, those points of recognition work. And, and conversely, I started reading X-Men later and already out, and there were things that when I went back and, and reread them for the podcast, I was shocked hadn't actually been textual or hadn't been explicitly textual. Like, I remembered Storm and Yukio as having specifically been together. I still maintain. I still maintain. Yeah, Actually, they were. I just found out this morning, according to some random site that I found on Google that may or may not be true, that apparently there's a scene in a Black Panther issue where it goes through all of Storm's past romantic and sexual partners, and Yukio is shown there. So Good. We, we may have canon canon. We might. X-Men fans are some of the best sleuths out there. Can one of y'all just get in yes. on this? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on Google. You're amazing. We'll, we'll pause the panel. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, but that was just sort of the differences in the way those relationships are read, and then that sort of 
as a tangent in terms of the things we, we you know, we're talking about having stuck around because they were, they were relationships we latched on, things we didn't really see elsewhere, got us thinking about the differences between what had brought us into X-Men and what we'd stayed for. So Vita, I'm gonna bat this over to you because Miles and I get to talk about this all the time. And, um, uh, well, I think this is kind of widely known now, but uh, you know, one of the first comics that actually drew me to reading comics period was an X-Men comic with Storm and Bishop on the cover. Um, and so I definitely came for the brown people um, because it was some of the first times that I'd seen on the cover of a book, I was, I don't know, between seven and nine, somewhere in there, um, like brown people who weren't clearly a villain and I thought that was really cool. Um, but I, I stayed because I really found, I found it interesting what you could do in comics that you couldn't do on television. I was a big TV kid and you, you couldn't do that. You didn't have the same kind of subtext at the time. Yeah. Like, and, and one of the things that I know now is that it was purposeful. It was trying to get in and pack in as much as you could, whether it, we're talking about kind of experiences of, of brown people in general or queer people or brown queer people, Storm is queer. Um, <laughs> I don't get to make those decisions, but maybe Hickman will. Um, and I remember, um, you know, reading mystique stuff and really, for me, that's one of the things that kept me coming back to X-Men. Like, I'll read anything with Mystique in it. I'm a, I'm a non-binary person, um, and even though she's clearly, you know, uh, put on the page as a, a lady female woman character, she can be whoever she wants to be. And she often chooses to express her own identity in ways that isn't that. And I always found that really kind of like, I, I saw myself in that. Um, so I, I think that like, I, I just remember that so clearly. And then also like, it was just really gay. Just like, like X-Men is super gay. I don't know if you've read it, any X-Men. Um, just like Kitty, like, like Liana's sword like appearing to her. I'm like, that's gay. That's, that's not yeah. even subtext. Yeah. It's right here. Yeah. There's a giant lesbian sword. Like, here you go, yeah. it's a sword lesbian. Or like, just everything about the 80s in general was gay, just like across the board, and then X-Men there, you just like, like Rachel, you're like, oh, this character clearly was like, fashioned after very specific people who are queer. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can't put it in there, but like, you learn, especially, you know, I'm in my 30s, um, growing up, when I grew up, you learn to look for certain signals in the text, um, and some of it, you know, hearing about what Claremont wanted to do, you're just like, this is, that's just straight up main text. And I think, and we'll talk about this probably later, but I find it really interesting now that we live in a time where like, maybe you can't do everything you want to do on a work for hire project, but you have Twitter. <laughs> so you can definitely post your own opinions about what you are doing, even though you can't necessarily be completely main text about it. Um, so the context of subtext is also shifting in that way, which is, I think, really interesting. And that's one thing I really uh, enjoy about this, this modern era is that because we have more of a direct line to writers and artists and creators, and especially writers like Claremont who are off X-Men and are perfectly happy to talk about exactly what they were trying to do, is we're, we're at a point where we're fanon, where you know, what is just sort of known and assumed by readers kind of can almost overwrite canon sometimes. Like, you know, 
Kitty has, again, it's always been subtext as much as it's been pretty damn obvious. But we as X-Men readers, like, we all pretty much know what's going on there. We know that her and Rachel were absolutely a thing, even if that's never been made explicit. And I love that ability to sort of take a little bit of ownership of the larger universe to sort of participate in it to, in that way. Well, it's it's taking the subtext, it's taking the stuff that was between the lines, that was clandestine, that was coding, and that came out of not only those rules, but like that, that, that reflects a lot of coding around queer culture and the ways that we reached out to and signified our identities and interests to each other when it wasn't safe or it wasn't possible to say those things frankly. Um, like that, I feel like a lot of it comes out of that. And it's, it's a shift that in fiction, in terms of what we see on the page, I think parallels the way it is in, you know, parallels our actual, actual experiences in, in real life. That there are, there are things that everyone within a certain community knows mean a certain thing, but no one else does. And that now we can, we can say those in, in more general language and demand that they be acknowledged outside of that. And I think too, looking back on it, because the queer coding was so like intentional, mm -hmm. you can then go back and reclaim that as like, no, that's an actual thing here. Historically, we can show you how that is a thing. And so in retrospect, we now make it more gay. Like now, now it is main text because Claremont can go, actually, here we go. And we can go, well, in this time period, these are the things that we did. And so you can't take that away from me. I don't think there's anything wrong with reading it in re retroactively either. I think Iceman is kind of a perfect example of yeah, that. Who's, yeah. I, I don't think that anyone that, that, that the people originally creating him sat down and said, well, this character is going to be gay. He's going to be very closeted. He's going to be bargaining with himself clandestinely and outside of his own you know, thought balloons for a real long time. But he reads entirely plausibly as that. And that, that lack of intent initially again, feels like a place where the way the, the, the intent with which the character was written kind of echoes the character's own growing self-awareness. Although I do really appreciate that one of Iceman's first lines ever was essentially, yuck, girls, when Gene oh, Kiefer shows up. Oh, it's his first line. It's, it's like, ah, uh, a girl, who cares? Right? It's great. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. So... We basically were hoping to talk about uh, some of the, the more important subtexts in Marvel, uh, obviously. Or texts, because or I think the other matter. important thing is that, as, as you know, like the Kitty and Rachel example, like the Storm and Yukio example, a lot of these, if they were relationships that a majority readership were, was used to acknowledging and recognizing, would be considered canonical and would be considered textual. I mean, the, the question of what counts as text is very sticky when you have to explicitly acknowledge one type of relationship, but another can just be taken as read. Yeah, basically that. A, a pair of characters that I'm always interested in, just simply because their uh, their takes on gender and sexuality are, are ambiguous and fascinating, are actually Cipher and Warlock from the New Mutants. Mm, yeah. I, so for, for anybody unaware, Cypher is a kid whose mutant power it is to uh, understand any language, which is actually an awesome mutant power. I don't care what people say. It's rad. <laughs> and Warlock is a space robot who befriends appliances and who we love very much. It's not exactly a robot. It's really complicated. And if anybody's read The New Powers of Ten, it's like even more it's complicated. It's become even more complicated, yeah. Um, Thanks, Hickman. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, love genuinely, it. thanks. Actually, it's really cool. But, 
But uh, they had this very close friendship initially just because they both liked computer stuff or were sort of computer stuff. But as, as time went on... Well, also initially, Doug was the only person who could talk to Warlock. Yeah, the first time power. Warlock lands on Earth. Um, but as they got closer and closer, they started to merge techno-organically because Doug was not great in combat because of the language thing, and Warlock had space robot powers. And that just became so intimate and fascinating, and it was always portrayed as them being best friends. But there was such a sensual, I guess for lack of a better term, an intimate... Uh, element to it that for me like even as a kid who was oblivious to most things that really jumped out at me and jumped out at me as something just kind of I guess comforting I think when we're talking about kind of things and whether or not they count because you have to have caveats I think one mm -hmm. of the one of the things that I go back to is all things given equal, being equal, a kid may be reading this. What is a thing that strikes them as like, oh, that's just true because I know these very yeah. basic things and there you go. And I, I think that was one of the thing, like for those two characters, I was like, they're, they're together forever. Like literally yeah. now, like <laughs> physically. Oh, for those of you who don't have context for them but have seen Community, they are effectively the Troy and Abed of the New Mutants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But and like if they could also merge. Yeah, literally, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's complicated. Um, <laughs> It's a good catchphrase to have when you're talking about the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of those things where, again, I know that there, there's a lot going on behind the scenes and especially working in, in work for higher comics now, I know that too, but yeah. I think everyone working on that book had to know that. Like, Yeah, they have an incredibly intimate relationship and one of the things that I really like about it um, is it's ambiguity because, or, well, both it's ambiguity and it's clarity because Doug and Warlock are together for at least some definition of the world of the word, and that's that's inarguable. That's fact. That's there. It's yeah. It's it's just unquestionably the truth. And they have a re the the ways that their the fact that their relationship doesn't quite fit into any existing, and, and the, the ways that they're intimate don't have really any direct human parallels, is one of those cases where I think ambiguity is actually a huge plus, because you can read it as reflective, uh, you can absolutely read what they do as reflective of sex, you can also read it as really reflective of an asexual romantic relationship and avenues of intimacy that are specifically non-sexual, because it's not specifically sexual. And you can also read it as an incredibly tight, close, platonic friendship that has significant physical components. And this is, this is the, perpetual, the perpetual debate of, but we see so few of thing, why do you have to read it as other thing? Those are all things we don't see very much of. And again, I, I, the, the answer I always come back to is we just need more of all of those. Yes. But having a relationship that can read in all of those ways, and especially in a comic that was being read by a lot of young teenagers, and especially by a lot of like young boys, seems really, really important. Like we don't think of that. I'm, I'm trying to think of other male characters who are close, and like who are, who are, who are close and who are intimate and who love each other in the ways that Doug and Warlock do, and teenage boys especially in like media from that era, and I'm blanking. I would actually bring it right back to New Mutants in a different way and talk uh, about yeah. Cannonball and Sunspot. Yeah, 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 point. Okay, outside of New Mutants. <laughs> okay, so New Mutants is wonderful and perfect, but other <laughs> examples. Yeah, like that's, yeah, that's a huge one. Mm -hmm. So 
as far as, I, I mean, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on uh, Professor Xavier and Magneto, especially since the movies have, you know, become one of the bigger ways people look at X-Men. They're, I, I was like 20 something years old when someone told me that they were not together. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> In a very real way, their relationship is so feuding parents fighting over the kids that I just don't understand what it is for them not to be. And I, maybe that's a failing of mine <laughs> yeah. that I can't fathom these men in a relationship that isn't, they were deeply in love and also have to punch each other in the face. Like, how, many, how many scenes have there been over the years of Professor Xavier leaving a domestic relationship with a woman with like Magneto standing outside waiting for him? I just, <laughs> like. Like that's that's how literally every single one of his relationship ends, except I guess maybe Lalandra. But almost every fight that they have boils down to no, we should raise the kids this way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just... I'm sorry. There's so so my my favorite my favorite take on this, and my my this is this is what one of my first. This is great, and this is the difference between voice of the author versus what the author can actually officially say was. Um, Kieran Gillen had, had an account on, I don't remember the name of the platform, but it was one of the early ones where people could just ask you questions. Um, and someone asked, and it was, it was at the beginning of, it was early in the Utopia era, and someone asked if, if, if and Magneto had just recently joined the team, and, and someone asked, is, is Magneto's relationship gonna be, to, to Cyclops gonna be similar to his relationship to Xavier? And Gillen responded, no, he's not sleeping with Cyclops. <laughs> and, <laughs> So there's that. Yeah. The <laughs> but you know, yeah. with things like that, I guess I guess the question I would have for for the two of you is: there we have a relationship where it's very clearly subtext, more than say Mystique and Destiny, yeah. where you could also just read them as these incredibly close friends who have had this complicated relationship. Do you think it would serve the story and the characters better if that were something that were brought to the forefront, if there were an explicit romantic or sexual element, or do you think it works better subtextual? Do you think it works better ambiguously? I think all things being equal, it wouldn't matter, like because it's so clear, but things are not equal. Yeah. And I think that because they are so important um, in terms of just the X-Men universe and the Marvel universe in general, that is something that could be really cool. It could show that you could have all of this power and be this different, right? Mm -hmm. um, and still be queer, <laughs> still in whatever flavor, I don't know. Charles has a lot of relationships with a lot of different sorts of humans and aliens and also robots, maybe? I don't know. It's complicated. Um, but I don't I, think there have ever been. Have there ever been? I don't think there have been robots. Has there been a robot? I don't know. I don't He's know. done a lot. I don't know. So we actually talked about Danger at, at great length yesterday and specifically why Danger presents as, why we think she presents as female, which I have theories about. <laughs> um, but, which spins off of that, but, sorry, go back. No, I, I, I mean, I think that's it. I think that, like, if there was plenty of, you know, across the rainbow spectrum representation in all different kinds of characters and archetypes, then I think that, sure, leave it subtext because we can see it, but also, like, yeah. it's not necessarily something that is the focus of the story, arguably. I think it's a soap opera, so kind of it is, <laughs> but, um, but things are not equal, and so I think that any time you have a chance to do this when you have characters that clearly could be yeah. Why not? The, I don't think you lose anything from it because you don't erase what's come before. 
But that's just my opinion. That's not an official opinion. <laughs> it's just me and... Marvel Comics does not endorse anything yeah, we say here. Not, probably not a damn thing. But it's also, again, going back to, like, I love that I can have my own opinion, and it's not necessarily going to be on the page, but this is who I am, and this is what I think, and I think that's what I bring to the table when someone hires me, so... They knew they were getting somebody really gay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a challenging space to navigate, um, and one of the things that it's, it's been weird to do is, is go from mainly you know working in comics and knowing that and being familiar and knowing a lot of people who've worked on those to actually working on a big two licensed property um, and it's been it's it's a strange space to occupy especially when you're visible and part partially got hired based on visibility and then suddenly yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really really strange space to to move through. I take my cue from Teeny and Leah mostly, who yeah. are just very messily gay at all times online. Yes. But then when they go to work, they go to work and they do their best job, and that's just it. Um, and I think that that's the way to live: just be messy gay, you know, in in public, and yeah. then be like, "This is my job. Here are whatever the constraints are. I don't know what they are because I haven't started writing that X title yet." Um, but that's what you're hired for, so put yourself into it as much as you can, but, you know. Well, and I think that's especially valuable. I mean, going back to what we were talking about, about Claremont, part of why we can look back at those 70s and 80s comics and go, oh yeah, Kitty and, well, any number of people, or Storm and any number of people, Definitely. is yeah. because Claremont talked about what he was doing. And similarly, you're all talking about your own perspectives and your own intent. So even if that's not explicit in the work you're doing for whatever reason, like people can go back to that and be like, oh, oh, okay, clearly. Yeah, yeah my, my agenda is gay and brown, like straight up, that's it. Good. Yeah. So I want to talk about the danger thing just because I think it's yes, neat. <laughs> Let's talk about robot breasts. How, no, how we, gendering artificial intelligence is something that I'm really like, Kind of obsessively fascinated with, but um, no, I think I think Danger, given her history and longevity, and given her very specific, like given her very specific motivation when she first takes humanoid form, I think the idea of her, based on her history, choosing to to be to 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 take to, to take an explicitly female coded humanoid for, form and gender herself as female is an entirely reasonable reflection of an AI who's grown and learned and watched the evolution and the repetition of Charles Xavier's power dynamics with the women around him, and then projected that and applied it to and extrapolated from it based on her own situation and her own relationship to him. I, I, think, I, think, that the, I, I think that while, I, I think, that if you are an AI and all things are equal and you choose some of your identity and how you reflect your progenitors based on what you've learned from them from being around them, you, you can't, I, I can't see danger gendering herself as anything other than female. Yeah, that really adds a, a different layer to the danger story. And danger for anybody unfamiliar is basically, so it turned out the danger room was actually an AI that Charles Xavier sort of enslaved for a while. We wrote a song about it once, or I wrote a song about it you once. Did. Uh, and so, yeah, eventually she escapes and takes humanoid form and uh, fights the X-Men a whole bunch, and Xavier in, in particular. Um, 
But yeah, that adds another layer. That's, that's not just, hey, you imprisoned me and that wasn't cool. It's, hey, you imprisoned me and that wasn't cool. And this is how you've treated many of the people, specifically the women in your life, in kind of analogous ways. And so then it becomes like a, a double revenge story. Well, and that's a good example, too, of something where I have no idea whether that, that reflects authorial intent. I don't know if, if I, like, because it's Joss Whedon. Like, he could have just been like, I think a sexy fighting robot lady would be cool. <laughs> like, this is that's, true. I, I don't know. I mean, she's not, she's not very sexualized as, as a robot, which is good, but um, because she, it, yeah, characterization and things. But, um, but like, I, I genuinely don't know the intent behind it, but part of the fun and part of what we do as, as readers of older stuff and as, as critics and people is, is being able to retroactively go and find those threads and pull them out and shape them into something meaningful. Like, the threads are always there. It just sometimes takes going in and rearranging them to actually get the image. And that's the great thing about a franchise that's been going on for so many decades, that's been done by so many writers and so many artists with so many characters. Like, whatever you're looking for, it's there waiting for you. You might have to spend a lot of time in Marvel Unlimited, like maybe too much, but it's there. And that's, I think that's one of the joys of diving into a franchise as enormous as the X-Men is, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever you as a reader would like to have in a story, you just got to find it. It's great. So, Vita, I want to bring this back to you. What were the relationships that you were, like, there for? Because you, you mentioned the stuff you stuck around for and the stuff you really loved, but, like, what were, the, what, what were relationships on the page or that you wanted to see on the page that you were invested in initially as a reader? Again, uh, I made a lot of assumptions. Uh, I had this weird brain where I just, like, ignored all of these things that indicated that people were just straight. Um, <laughs> I mean, are they though? I don't think so. <laughs> um, Wolverine and Nightcrawler for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I love them so much. Uh, Storm and Jean, and I don't like this. Yeah. I just, it seemed to make so much sense, especially looking at Storm and kind of who she is and, and the way that she holds herself separate. And like, I was like, oh, the only person that could probably break through that is Jean. That's adorable. They're together. That's it. It's done. Um, um, I also, this was just something that I was like, I don't know if this will ever be true, but it should. I've always thought that, that Jean and Emma make sense. Just yeah. cut out the middleman. Just <laughs> They've been circling each other for a long time, <laughs> but that's just a me wanting the thing. That's not something I saw on the page necessarily. Um, I honestly thought that most of the X-Men were just some flavor of like being queer. I think it just made sense to me. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, they've been around for so long that they get to develop as characters a lot. And I think that part of that is exploring different aspects of themselves. And it just, everyone was really close, very good pals and gal pals. <laughs> I was like, that, they're, that's just gay, right? Like they're all just together. They're all just a big happy family. <laughs> like, well, and they, they read like, the queer families that I actually knew. Yeah. Like they are, they are the multi-generational queer families who like, and, and the house that, you know, those houses that's like, it, it's a rental, but it goes through so many different generations in the same community over the years. Yeah, found family like yeah. is like a thing, and especially in the queer community, right? Yeah. And in like, the way that they interact with each other and, the, and how deeply they care about each other, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all romantic, but it is a soap opera. No, <laughs> and, it, and also just, it makes sense because, like you said before, if it were two cis, different gendered people, then clearly they would be together. And so it's just like, 
well, just read it that way then. Like, uh, yeah. why not? Yeah. Why it brings not only does it bring me joy, but it makes logical sense. Like you put all the markers there, then it's happening. That's it. You can't take that back. Yeah, I mean structurally, it's basically dykes to watch out for because they have superpowers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, Marvel, if you're listening, you'll have to get the copyright. That's your new title for X-Men. <laughs> no, no, I'm keeping that one. Okay, that's Jay's new title for X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. Oh, I, I, I had to give a shout out to Richter and Shatterstar. My wife would yeah. kill me if I didn't. Uh, <laughs> that's her OTP to end all OTPs, and she is deeply into all kinds of fandoms, so like that's real. Um, and I think, like I'm glad that we mentioned them earlier, but also it is really interesting that they allowed them kind of also the space to develop. Like I'm okay with slow burn. 17 years is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm very okay with not just having people just be together for, because they have to be together. I like the idea of a relationship developing and that was one where you can go, I see all of the signs, here they are. And it was really nice. Um, and I generally, I'm generally someone that I'm like, yeah, 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 the, the, the guys, the masks, that's fine, that's cool, where are the ladies at? <laughs> you know, where are my femme folk at? But I, you know, something like that was so touching and so sweet that it was allowed to just grow. Um, so shout out to them. They're not real, I guess, but they are to me. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, and also I, I have a lot of love for um, the handling of Richter's sexuality in the arc where he and Shatterstar become explicit. Because he's been in female relationships before, and he, characters ask him about that, and he's like, no, those, I, I'm glad I did that, but I've, th this is who I've come to realize I am, and that doesn't negate my past, but this is me now, so let me be me now. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. That's, yeah. So, let's see. I know we wanted to leave a bunch of time for audience questions. Is there anything else we wanted to cover before we did so? Um, trying to think. Man, I just, I've been, I've just been thinking nonstop about Mystique and Destiny for a couple of reasons lately. There was, there's the, the panel that got tweeted. That's from um, the History of the Marvel Universe, by the way. And it's a beautiful, beautiful page. We retweeted it from the podcast account and from my account on Twitter, if you see them. Um, it's gorgeous. And they are... They are so important to me, and, and I've been thinking about them because of that, and I've been thinking of them because I saw the um, Maurice Sendak's opera and ballet exhibit at, um, I'm, at the Morgan Museum um, and Library recently, and because there's a lot about his history that they made, that specifically Desti or Destiny's death makes me think of. Because Sendak was gay, and he didn't come out until very late in his life, and during the time that he was closeted, um, his partner of, of like 50 years died. And Mystique and Destiny being kept subtextual and the ways in which that means that Mystique can't mourn Destiny on panel and the ways that that parallels a real thing is just one, is one, is one of those things that I just, I, I can't stop thinking about. Like it's just, it's such and I think in a lot of ways inadvertent parallel, but it's one of those places where the relationship between the subtext of the comic, the political forces that went into keeping that subtext and the people it was speaking to and the experiences it was reflecting just intersect in such heart-wrenching ways. Like I just, I, I'm not, I don't have a conclusion here. I just have a lot of trouble not thinking about that right now. Entirely reasonable, yeah, it's like a meta tragedy. It's, or it's, it's, it's a lot of intersecting ones. I'm sorry, that was a really massive bummer, bummer note. They're finally going to kiss. It's a whole page about their relationship. <laughs> and like half of it is the two of them kissing, and it's great. It's gorgeous. It's a really good kiss. Yeah. 
It's a real, it's, it's a kiss, maybe a kiss worth waiting 37 years for. I mean, 37 years is a long time. <laughs> it's a real, oh, I can, I can rock it to your full circle here and say, it's a really good kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, uh, we would love to answer any uh, questions about X-Men or subtext in X-Men or uh, the ways mutant powers work or, or whatever that any of you might have for any of the three of us. Uh, we have an awesome FlameCon volunteer who's going to be passing around a microphone. So yeah, if you have a question, raise your hand. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a bisexual person, and I'm surrounded by gay people all the time. And there's like this instant with Archangel where he is surrounded by gay people all the time. And between Betsy, um, Iceman, and even Cameron Hodge and X-Factor, even though he betrays and kills him, um, there's this question that's like always in my mind that's like, is he surrounded by gay people because he himself could be gay? Or am I reading way too much into it? We're getting an answer from space. Yes. <laughs> they say. We're, we're calling in our lifeline on this one. Um, I mean, for that, I, I, I can absolutely see it. I can also see not it, but I don't think that's a, like an incorrect interpretation. I think that could fit Warren given the way he's always tried to portray himself in very specific ways. Like, you know, he's always known what he was supposed to be and then modified that with the whole having wings thing. So that would make some sense to me. I would assume that regardless where he started, once you have been through the whole Horseman of Apocalypse process, a lot of things that you assumed about yourself are assumed as defaults. You just kind of have to rebuild from scratch. So there's that too. Like there's, there's, there's the, and one of, one of the nice things about the long game that you're talking about is that there's, there are so many opportunities and, you know, finger holds for that kind of change or shift or evolution. Like even if something, you can say something textually wasn't there to begin with and grew and happened and changed. And there are so many different ways and directions and arcs for that. Like, I think it's absolutely something that can be there. I don't know. I have, I have so much trouble validating or not validating headcanon and subtext just because I, I feel like there's stuff that I don't see and that doesn't mean it's not there. And there's stuff that I don't see in that, or, and there's stuff that I see and that doesn't mean it's there. And it's, so I mean, my, my answer pretty much is blanket yes. <laughs> Everything could be that. I mean, I think too, uh, X-Men has been used as a stand-in for many marginalized groups. And so in many ways, sometimes they're just like, we're just gonna put that there. Um, because maybe you need that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you need that right now. And so I, I, I always say blanket yes, but with like a, like a definitive, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. 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 Oh, you could do some really interesting things with that too, in terms of the metaphor with, um, the way it intersects with class yep. and, and, and sort of the degree of insulation, but also onus to invisibility that goes with it. Stories about all of the X-Men being very queer in every possible iteration and permutation, please. Yes. <laughs> hello, long-time listener. Just wanted to say hi. Um, Thank you. Hello. Uh, so I was actually talking about this, actually, this morning with a, this person right here, about um, Iceman and his relationship with Mystique, who is, and he has now come out of the closet. Do you think possibly there could have been, like, I, I would love to see, well, how would you guys handle maybe him learning a little bit about himself sexually through Mystique. Like, like a retcon in that form. Like, he's like, oh, like, could you change into this, please? Well, first of all, I feel fairly strongly that she would have been the one who suggested that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think, I, I absolutely, I mean, 
you saw the scene where she's she's um, talking to, to where she's talking to Cyclops in the beginning of the you know, mutant revolution era and goes through you know Jean and Emma and then Wolverine. <laughs> like she is she is absolutely canonically the person who who pushes those edges and I could I could totally see that scene happening and my 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 one quibble with the way you presented it is is that I think she would have initiated it. <laughs> Uh, given his connection to the X-Men, would you say that Spider-Man is queer? Everyone is queer. All of them. All of them. All of the comics characters. All of them. Is they- he queer? Listen, bud. I don't know what rhymes from there. He's definitely wearing spandex, so... <laughs> I mean, I will say he and Johnny Storm are pretty tight. And I mean... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, there was. Oh, and the great Waka Chicka soundtrack that it had. I love Spider-Man and his amazing friends. He is so also much. he is also on the short and on, on the short but yet surprisingly long for comics list of guys Johnny Storm has showered with, so <laughs> Hi. Hello. Hello. So on the topic of Fanon, if there was a queer eye in the mutant world, <laughs> which could be called Fab Force. Just, um, who, who would take the respective roles? Who would their first target be? Oh, damn. <laughs> this is like an entire panel topic yeah, right here. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we abbreviate, like, a lot, especially since I don't know nearly as much Wolverine as Wolverine is the cook. Okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is good. This goes with the, the Wolverine is definitely also Elliot from Leverage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Wolverine is food. Yes. Oh, oh and, and it also goes with the, 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 the weird John Levitt, um, Antony is actually a stealth assassin theory. I would believe it. Yeah. I would believe it, that face. There's a whole essay, it's great. Um, hmm. Who, who's, who's gently just like cleaning people's beards and telling them it's gonna be okay? Like who's? Yeah, like who is, who is that? Who is, who is like the person who nurtures us and genders our facial hair? That is Kurt. Whoever said that. Yeah, I yeah. think that's right. You're absolutely right. I'm gonna say this. Absolutely right. Freaking pains me because she's also black, but I think that Storm is Gromo, because that is the most nurturing. Just like, let's talk about feelings. No, I'm an actual goddess. Let's talk about feelings. <laughs> the thing is, she's also objectively the most fashionable X-Men. That too. She just reads people for fun. Oh, and she's got gently. the Ten France hair. Yes. So there's that. I think, so I think the, the actual answer is that it's just all Storm. It's all Storm. <laughs> storm okay. is just better at everything. Wait, but who's building? All right, I'm gonna... <laughs> who's, who's Magneto, yes. obviously, yeah, yeah. It's just him going, I never talked to this person, but I will rearrange your whole house. Yeah. Except it's all gonna be like weird octopus Cthulhu theme. No, Magneto, Magneto is like, Magneto would be like, Magneto would be the much less nice version of that, where he just like, he redecorates your house, it looks, you know, it looks great, but you're not sure. And he's like, no, you like it. This is, this is, this is your style. And then he does the eyebrow thing. This is great. <laughs> now I'm just Im- imagining Kurt, like, no, this is the shampoo I use on my entire body. So. <laughs> it's very soft, you see. It's very, very soft. Oh my God, just, for me, it's seven hours in the morning, but for you, it's like 20, 20 minutes. Now, have you ever had your hair cut by someone with a tail? <laughs> That's so Jonathan wonderful. Van Ness is amazing. Jonathan, like Jonathan Van Ness, being just incredibly glowy and happy in the season immediately after him coming out as genderqueer. Yes. 
is so wonderful and so like it's so present there and it's really great. Hi, um, I'm non-binary and so I'm always looking for more non-cis rep in comics. Hell so, yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could make any X-Men canonically trans, who would it be? I'm not allowed to answer this question because this is just a mistake. <laughs> All of them. No. Um, Real talk? I mean, kind of, yeah. Real talk? Let's see. Are we talking what era <laughs> or everybody across the board in X-Men? Like, everybody? All right, I'm gonna say, first of all, you can have genderqueer Quentin Quire when you pry him out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> yes. And I will, I will also, I thought of this a while ago in, in, in context of a similar question to this, but I will go to the mat for trans feminine bishop. That beautiful yeah. Jerry girl. <laughs> yes. So lustrous. Uh, I think that makes sense. I think that like he's from a far future where that does not matter and then, or they, I guess they come forward and, or backwards or sideways. I don't know, it's complicated. Uh, <laughs> well, and into a future where they're not fighting for survival and in an incredibly military structure the first time, yeah. structure for the first time and actually have to step back and mm -hmm. figure it themselves out as a person. Polaris. Ooh. Yeah. Polaris. yeah. I think it makes sense, actually. I, I was thinking yeah. about this a long time ago for another reason. Uh, and I, <laughs> and I think it makes sense. I think any of the Wolverine clones can just, just why, just get rid of the gen, there we go, <laughs> just, it's uh, gone, yeah. it's gone now. Uh, actually, we've already talked about Shatterstar, but I think Shatterstar could totally make yeah. sense that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Long shot. Oh God, long, long shot. shot, that would be perfect. Yeah. And I say this as yeah. a massive long shot fan, so I, I feel like my, my opinion matters even more. Uh, but yes, long shot's <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, I have, uh, oh God, so many characters. I have, so, I, oh, shout out to someone who is a guest here. Um, Crystal Fraser is a game developer and game designer and also a really dear, really, really, really old friend of mine. And Crystal periodically does something. I don't know if she's been doing it lately, but on Tumblr, she used to do this thing, this every character is trans thing, where if you sent her a character, she would basically write a description of how in canon and in context of their canon representation, they were clearly trans. Bless, that is the Lord. It word. was, they, they, are, they are fantastic. And she is, I'm gonna say, just because we're gonna run out of time eventually, and this is a conversation that should go on forever, like she is a great person to keep having that conversation with. And can I can just jump into though and say Gambit, Gambit, Gambit. Yeah. Gambit. Yeah, Gambit. Gambit, Gambit is trans, I will fight a bear. <laughs> oh no. You'll, um, fight, you'll fight a gator. I will fight seven gators and some thieves. <laughs> and assassins. And assassins. Havoc. I, I thought, I legitimately thought, again, I don't know, my brain's real weird, but for a long time, in the cartoon especially, I was like, Gambit, Gambit, that's true, right? That's why he ran away from home. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. just, like, that's true. Yeah. Um, Havoc. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I will say that this is, this is something that I started thinking about in context and, and borrowed from someone else's reading. Um, but if you look at the ways that, like, Havoc's perpetual trying to find a space and identity that he fits into, and like throwing himself into situations where there are expectations that he can try to meet rather than have, yeah, like that, that's, uh, what? The Blandings, his brother? Yeah, the, the, that whole, the Blandings, yeah, ex yeah, his, like his whole life then, yeah, exactly. This is a fun game. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the, the real question, I, don't, I can't think of any X-Men who we couldn't justify that for, but those are the ones that who, who stand out. 
Yeah. Yeah. What else do we have? Hi. Um, I have a question about two characters that you haven't mentioned. Um, North Star, who I think I knew was gay even when I was not sure that I was gay, eight years old or something like that, first time he showed up. And then uh, Karma, who yes. I love but didn't see it coming yeah. necessarily. Um, and so I'm kind of wondering if you have any thoughts on those two and how they exist is in this queer world of mutant dumb. First off, hella props to the Karma cosplayer in the second row. That is such a cool way to do the powers. And I, I, I do mean that, she's not mind controlling me into saying it. But. Oh, I got distracted by the, by the yeah. Karma cosplayer thing. That's, that is really a cool way to. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Um, so with Northstar, I always have to give the, both the, char the character and the writer at the time props for him being uh, one of the first major superheroes to come out. Admittedly, he did come out while having like this mountain of dialogue during a flying fist fight, but you know, hey. In the middle worse. of a very, very special issue. Um, <laughs> although I feel like flying through the streets, punching someone, yelling, I am a gay man at the top of your lungs is actually kind of a great way to come out. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> I aspire to that degree of panache, but I, oh, Northstar's so good. I actually really appreciate how confrontational Northstar has always been about his queerness. That's something, the Chuck Austin run gets a lot of entirely justified flack, but that's something that I really loved, that he did really well. As far as uh, him talking to Iceman? No, just in general, as far as, as, okay. as far as as far him, you know, talking to Professor Xavier and, and, and when Xavier comes in and is like, will you teach? And, and be like, what would you have me teach? You know, what are my qualifications? Boys, gym? No, sh you're not that progressive, right? <laughs> and just getting it and, and, and basically calling the X-Men out on that stuff continually and basic and, and, and doing the, yeah, no, this is, this is, this is here, this is happening. If I am here, then this is here with me. Um, as far as Karma. I love him. North Stars, yes. Yeah. As far as karma, I actually always really liked that. So I'm actually thinking of a scene in Scott Pilgrim, where uh, the comic, where Steve Stills at one point shows up with a boyfriend. Oh, yes. And Scott's like, wait, you're gay? And Steve's like, yeah, I came out ages ago, but it was off panel. And <laughs> like karma, Steve Stills and Scott Pilgrim is a character who's kind of private, or yeah. at least not as bombastic as the people uh, around as, as friends. And so for me, that kind of made sense where, you know, Karma ends up coming out and you look back and you're like, but we know so little about her. Oh, but we know so little about her. She wasn't yeah. talking about so many aspects of herself. I also appreciate that it gives you the, it could be anyone, like, yeah. factor in a, in a fun, ridiculous way, but also in a don't make assumptions way. So I, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, there's, a, a, and building on what Miles said, that, and what we talked, bringing it back to subtext, there's absolutely as much evidence for karma being gay as there is for karma being straight because neither of them comes up early on. Mm -hmm. There's no reason, yeah, to um, not. All right, we have a few minutes left. I think we have time for like maybe one or two. We have, yes, uh, two people up yeah. here have been. Yeah, who have been really waiting, patiently raising hands. Waiting for karma. Yeah. So let's try to get both of those in. Yes. Hey, um, so I love Black Tom and Juggernaut and they're Good, me too. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, how did we not think of them? Yes, they're married um, as hell. Oh, they are. And I was wondering if they were to team up or hang out with uh, the other murderous villain gay couple, um, Irene and De um, Destiny Mystique, what would they do and how well would that go? <laughs> okay, well clearly, clearly Juggernaut 
and Destiny are like the good friends in this scenario. <laughs> and Mystique and Black Tom snipe nonstop at each other and then just go, shh, shh, we're having tea. Um, Mystique would make fun of Black Tom's shillelagh and how much he slash I like to say the word shillelagh. <laughs> <sighs> what would they do? Uh... I mean, I wanted to say something actually wholesome because the idea yeah, of Juggernaut yeah. doing something wholesome begrudgingly is really cute. And the idea of them going to a tea service is now in my head. So just yeah. these giant hands with this little teapot like pouring me. And I think it would go swimmingly. <laughs> yeah. No, they just get together like every, every month, like the third Friday of every month, and they do some new different domestic thing that they never get to do because they're evil class. criminals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Or they cook dinner together. Like they definitely, they'd definitely be like the wholesome queer middle-aged couple friends. <laughs> I love this plan. And Mystique's super old. She's been around for a long time, so she clearly knows all the things. I suspect she's, she uh, recommends like 90% of what they do, but then occasionally Juggernaut will be like, hey, I want to learn salsa dancing. Ooh. And Destiny will, like, We're Destiny will be like, dancing. okay, but we have to go to the place across town because if we go to this one, then you definitely start a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Canon. <laughs> and we have the, the person with the X-Men shirt and the... the Awesome hair. Yeah, yeah the question. Sort of piggyback on what was mentioned before, because that was my question, was about karma and basically about the queer women in the X-Men mm -hmm. that are always treated with subtext, yeah. but yet the male relationships are always much more explicit. And what are your feelings that, is it just who's writing the stories, who's writing the books, it's so much more male-driven, or, or uh, queer men get more representation than karma? Like, who is Karma dated? It could be subtext that she dated Kitty for a little while. A barista once. They all, they all dated Kitty. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. dated Kitty. <laughs> Kitty's dated a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think the really simple answer is because physical intimacy and a degree of romantic intimacy are to some extent normalized within friendships between women in our culture, and they are fairly verboten for friendships between straight men in our culture, and so the things that can be subtextual for female characters read so much as gay already for male characters that the line between having them in there and saying, putting it on the page explicitly is, is almost non-existent. And to piggyback off of that too, I think then uh, you open the floodgates, right? Because, oh, this was clear, like we put it on the page that they were doing these things and it was queer, but wait a second, hold on. <laughs> but also these, these two ladies did it and these and these and these seven together and th what is happening? And then, like, <laughs> I mean, obviously what's happening is that a lot of characters are queer. Yes. <laughs> yes. And a lot of different versions and permutations, yeah. That. Uh, so I think we're just about out do of we time. Have, do we have time for one more or if there are I'm, We're at 4.59. Oh, God. So, okay, we should, we should, we should actually wrap up because there's someone after us. So what I'm going to say is, first of all, thank you so much, Davida, for, for you know, putting up with, with another hour of this and, and taking an hour away from your table to do this. Thank you for FlameCon, for doing this, for, for bringing Miles out, for, for giving us this space in this audience. Thank you to all of you who are here. Oh, my God. This is a full room. Yeah, yes. this is, there are a lot of you. You are amazing. Um, Many, many, many thanks to Aaron and Luz who are watching what is going to be our merch table for the next hour. Um, who are, yeah, so we, we have, and we have, we have a merch table in the back. We basically just have t-shirts. We have a couple candles. We have some free stuff. Um, I thought we had more Kitty Pride things than we did. I'm really sorry. Um, and yeah, and thank you so much to our producer, Matt, who is going to be hacking this into something listenable. Um, to, to, yeah, it's just everyone. Um, 
yeah, thank yes. you all for coming out and seeing us. It's always great to see people in person. We like the internet, but we like uh, getting to see all these faces is truly a treat. So yeah. thank you all so much. Thank you, FlameCon. Great to see you. We'll be at the show uh, wandering around. So come say hi and, and talk Axman. Well, we're going to be over yeah, there definitely. for the next hour or yes, so. Yeah, there first. And then the show. Yeah. And I'll be at a... I'll be at table S170, so please come by and say hi. Let's hear it again for Jay and Miles. Explain the X-Men!